You're listening to Ideas on Europe, a podcast by UACES, the Association for Contemporary European Studies. In this episode, Dr. Russell Foster from King's College London gives his talk, Money Can't Buy Me Love, Countering Euroscepticism Through Currency Reform. At the Bratislava Summit in September 2016, EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker declared, let us be honest in our diagnosis. Our European Union is facing, at least in part, an existential crisis. Now, since he spoke those words in September 2016, Juncker's words have become even more pertinent because Europe's crisis has not gone away. We might be tricked into thinking that it has. In the aftermath of the 2016 populist wave which swept in Donald Trump and resulted in Brexit, it seems that the European Union is seeing a return to establishment values. Austria voted against its far-right presidential candidate. Geert Wilders was defeated in the Netherlands, and in France, Emmanuel Macron swept to power. However, this does not mean that the EU's existential crisis has gone away. Indeed, it has only grown worse, and this raises the question of why. Europe is currently in the eye of the storm because the populist wave of 2016 is built upon dissatisfaction and discontent which can't be removed with a couple of easy elections. And the answer to the European Union's problem is that it lacks emotional appeal. Europe lacks the loyalty of its citizens. Now, due to a combination of structural and spontaneous problems, the European Union has now acquired the powers of a state, but none of the legitimacy of a state. And out of all of the problems facing the European Union, economic malaise, rising unemployment, financial instability, increasing impotence in the face of Russia, and the threat of a second migration crisis, which a weakened Europe cannot possibly survive, the most severe threat facing Europe is internal, and this threat is that people don't feel European. I would argue that people feel less European than they did 10 years ago. Now with the exception of cases outside of Europe, such as the Maidan revolution in Ukraine, or in the immediate aftermath of Brexit in the United Kingdom, we do see spontaneous symbolic displays of people feeling European. But these are very isolated exceptions. And what unites them all is that they are manifested outside of the European Union. Inside Europe, this sentiment is not particularly strong. Now, since the signing of the Treaty of Rome, the drive for European unity has been predicated in neo-functionalist theory, the brainchild of Ernst Haas. Now, Haas's theory argued that there would be three stages to European integration. The first would be economic unity. In the immediate aftermath of the Second World War, economic cooperation would help to foster a sense of Europeanness. Given a couple of decades, this increasing economic integration would result in a spillover, calls for a political unification. Increasing commerce across borders would require some sort of a European Parliament to manage integration further. 
Then, a couple of decades after this, there would be a third spillover, where people would start to feel European. So an economic unification, spilling over into a political unification, spilling over into a, a psychological or a social union, where people felt European. Now, simultaneously, increasing communication in the 20th century encouraged the perception that greater contact and communication between Europeans, more communication, more crossing of borders, would result in a lessening of national and parochial identities while encouraging an identity as European. Now, the European Union has sought to build upon this presumed sameness to engender a European identity, which is expressed through symbolism. Now, Ernst Haas's neo-functionalist theory didn't work, and Haas himself renounced the theory in the 1970s. But today, in the middle of continuing problems of the European Union, neo-functionalist theory, what we call the Gospel of Jean Monnet, continues to form the basis of EU identity policy. Now, this may have been an astute position during the beginnings of a unified Europe, but since the Maastricht Treaty of 1993, when the European Community became the European Union, and particularly since the introduction of a common currency in 2002, followed by rapid expansion into the old Soviet bloc in 2004 and 2007, Europe has morphed from an economic community to a political union, and the impact of this has been very significant. The European Economic Community was a distant entity which had very little impact on people's day-to-day -day lives. But the European Union, through issuing a currency, has a daily visible presence in people's everyday lives. Now, like the symbols of a nation-state, or the symbols of any political, ethnic, or cultural community, the symbols of the European Union convey distinct meanings. However, there is a fundamental difference between the currency symbols of a nation-state and the symbols of the European Union. Nation-states were largely invented in the 18th and 19th centuries, but they have enough antiquity for their symbols to have some sort of uh, an emotional and mystical significance. The European Union was formed within living memory, and its backwards-looking symbols have not had time to acquire the same emotional validity as the symbols of a nation-state. As a result, the meaning which is conveyed by the EU's current symbols is not agreed through social convention, like in a nation-state, but instead this appeared to be imposed from above. Now, for EU policymakers who disseminate these symbols, these icons communicate the very concept of a united Europe, one which has always existed in European consciousness. But for those 500 million Europeans who interact with these symbols on a daily basis, different meanings can influence political behaviour. Now, as has been demonstrated by emotionally vicious political campaigns all across Europe, since 2014, when a heavily sceptical European Parliament was returned, to 2017 and the year of elections, we have seen that the emotional significance of Europe 
has changed. For many Europeans today, the EU no longer represents the hopes and dreams of people emerging from the horrors of the Second World War. Equally, the European Union, for many people, is no longer the symbol of a prosperous and confident West which could be contrasted against the other Europe imprisoned behind the Soviet Iron Curtain. Instead, for many Europeans today, the EU is not the alternative to a status quo of disorder and chaos. For so many Europeans, increasingly young Europeans, those who are hardest hit by austerity, the EU is the status quo. And it is a status quo which was aptly summed up in the address to the European Parliament by Pope Francis in 2014, who called Europe somewhat elderly and haggard. Now, as a result, the European Union has become a symbol for popular frustrations at a gulf between unelected leaders and unconsulted citizens, citizens who increasingly feel left behind by the march of globalisation and by metropolitan elites in Europe's major cities who have more in common with each other than with their fellow people further down the road. We saw this in Greece in response to the austerity crisis. In Italy, Spain, Brexit was only one symptom of a disease which is visible all across Europe. Now, it has long been recognised that a European community relies upon the emergence of a European identity. But for a European Union which is still struggling to legitimise its existence, just what does it mean to feel European? The answer is that a European feeling, Europeanness, is not formed from above in the form of decrees and laws. Rather, it is formed from below in the vague and emotionally charged realm of symbolism. Now, currency symbols are very significant for two related reasons. First of all, currency is one of the most powerful forces which can bind a community together. This has been known since the days of Alexander the Great. People who have never met one another and who may have nothing in common with each other are unified by exchanging coins and notes which represent their common community, the sovereign above them. The second reason is that in difficult times, currency acts as a litmus test for public faith in the validity of the community and its leaders. Because physical cash, coins and banknotes, because they are devoid of any real value, they are only given value because of the symbols which are printed and minted on the surface. Now these symbols on coins and banknotes act as unifying icons for the community. They express the community's shared history, their shared heritage, their shared identity as members of the same community. This is something which has been done since the currency issued by the Roman Empire and which is done by every nation-state and its currency in the modern world. National governments imprint their currency with symbols of the community's cultural and political heritage, looking back to what made that country what it is today. The EU has tried to do the same thing, looking backwards into an imagined history. But because the European Union is so new, and because a shared European culture has perhaps not yet emerged, its symbols do not 
perform the same magic trick as the currency issued by national governments. Now, the designs on the euro currency today are 21 years old. The euro is the currency in the world which has gone the longest period of time without being changed, and it's time for them to be updated. Now, the current designs were chosen in 1996, at the height of Europe's self-confidence, in the aftermath of the Soviet collapse and the apparent victory of Western values. And these symbols were chosen via a public competition. Now, the overwhelming majority of entries that were shortlisted by the committee had banknotes and coins emblazoned with recognisable, tangible symbols from Europe's cultural heritage. Statues, paintings, famous monuments or portraits of famous artistic, cultural and scientific figures from all across Europe, from classical Greece to the late 20th century. However, all of these designs were rejected for one reason or another. National icons were rejected for fear that it would show favouritism to certain European countries. Similarly, several famous figures from European history were rejected for fear that obscure details of their personal lives might cause offence in the 1990s. An example would be Leonardo da Vinci was rejected for fear that his purported homosexuality would offend. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was rejected for fears that his Freemasonry could be considered offensive. In the end, the committee chose a design submitted by Robert Kalina, a graphic designer at the Austrian National Bank, who submitted to the 1996 competition a set of banknotes which avoided any actual artefacts from Europe's history. No faces, no flowers or fauna, no monuments. Instead, his imaginative architectural designs depicted a Europe that was supposed to be everywhere and anywhere, symbolised by stylized bridges and gates from different periods in Europe's history, which were intended to symbolise the European spirit of openness and cooperation. The resulting designs were what the journalist Farid Zakaria called Money for Mars, iconography which is not only devoid of European faces and European accomplishments, but is devoid of anything connected to the reality of life in Europe. A design which was meant to symbolise Europe being everywhere, perhaps symbolises Europe being nowhere. And now, in a period when European identity is threatened from both within and from outside the Union, and at a time when Europeans are wrestling with the question of what it means to be a European, these abstract postmodernist icons on the currency are no longer capable of appealing to emotions and appealing to a common identity which expresses just what it means to be a European. We have seen this in rising nationalism and rising Euroscepticism across Europe since the beginning of the financial crisis, and these nationalist philosophies gain traction precisely because they can appeal to emotion. These are not just the consequence of the EU's structural problems. They are symptoms of Europe's inherent identity crisis. As Europeans, who are we? What connects us as a continent, as a civilization, as a people? 
not Europe's trade links, not Europe's complicated governance system. And what connects us is no longer the post-Cold War dream of federalism and ever closer union, which, despite the honeymoon period of Emmanuel Macron, is now increasingly a memory. What connects the community of Europeans, like any community in human history, is shared culture and a shared heritage which expresses who we were, who we are, and who we aspire to be. And it is to this emotion that the currency's new symbols must appeal. Now, Europeans today increasingly question the validity and authority of a democratically deficient government in Brussels. To regain public trust and to start building the legitimacy which is necessary for people to support the continued existence of Europe, the EU needs to appeal to citizens' emotions. It is no longer enough for European policymakers to focus exclusively on trade deals and treaties. This was fine back in the days of the European Economic Community, when Europe had as much impact in people's everyday lives as NATO or the United Nations have in our lives. But today, when Europe is an entity with the powers of a state but not the legitimacy of a state, it is essential for European policymakers to address the emotional dimension of Europe. And they can do this through reforming the symbols. Because the euro itself is not only a symbol for Europe. It is a symbol of Europe's most serious problem, that the Union's power has grown faster than the legitimacy on which that power depends. Now, in spite of a symbolic surge of Europeanness in Europe following Brexit and the defeat of Geert Wilders and Marine Le Pen, the European Union still lacks the emotional appeal of nation-states. This is because Europe was never supposed to have an emotional dimension, because European policymakers followed neo-functionalist theory. Consider our emotional loyalties today. Nobody in our world feels emotionally loyal to NATO or the G7 or the World Postal Union, because these are distant elite entities which have little to no impact on the everyday lives of people whose governments are part of these organisations. Now, before 2002, the European Union belonged to the same category, a distant elite technocracy. But today, Europe is no longer a distant organisation, but an idea which raises emotions. And this is the context in which Euro symbols increasingly express a distant, uncaring and unelected interloper. This is the Europe which exists in the minds of millions of Europeans. And this is why Europe's symbols need to be reformed in order to appeal to Europe, not as a drab technical network of the 1970s, but a vigorous and energetic civilization which can face the increasing challenges of the early 21st century. A Europe that does not exist distantly, but a Europe that people can feel a part of. Now, my ongoing project at King's College London involves European citizens in reforming the EU symbols and its iconography. European iconography was chosen 
by a public competition in the mid-1990s, back when the internet was still a fairly new phenomenon, and as a result, entries tended to be from professional graphic designers in capital cities. Now, with the growth of the digital world, the Europe project at King's College London enables European citizens all across the Union to submit their suggestions and recommendations for new symbols and then to vote on what should appear on the currency. Which European faces? Which European monuments? Which European plants and animals and landscapes which can express an idea of what it means to belong to this civilization? It is my hope that this project will help to create a new currency iconography which appeals to Europe's real heritage and Europe's real achievements by issuing currency with genuine, tangible icons of accomplishments by Europeans past and present. Art, architecture, scientific breakthroughs, these are just some of the fields in which historical cross-border cooperation, the very essence of Europe, has created some of the defining artefacts and accomplishments which make people proud to be European. Now there is going to be another crisis in Europe. In 2016 we saw the emergence of populist forces which made people seriously question whether the European Union could survive. In 2017 there is an illusion that this populist Euroscepticism has gone away, but it is precisely that, an illusion because the same forces which gave birth to nationalist Euroscepticism in 2016 are still there. Economic inequality between those who have prospered and those who have prospered less. Inequality between different economies in Europe, tourist, agricultural, industrial, which are all tied together. The possibility of another Eurozone crisis the possibility of a second migration crisis if Europe's deal with Turkey breaks down. All of these are problems which can be addressed by European diplomats and European policymakers. But the biggest crisis which still faces Europe is one which cannot be legislated, and this is a feeling of resentment, a popular feeling that Europe does not represent Europeans. We saw this in Brexit, in which frustration and negative emotions manifested in a vote to leave. Economic problems can be addressed by policymakers, but policymakers find it very difficult to address a European voter who simply doesn't feel European. The way to address this is by reforming symbolism by adopting new iconographies which reflect Europe's culture and heritage. This will not solve Europe's problems. This is one tiny part of a multispectral solution. But by adopting new iconography which reflects Europe's shared culture and shared heritage, the European Union can take one tiny step closer to rebuilding the relationship between the visions of its leaders and the trust of those hundreds of millions of people whose support is necessary for Europe to survive. For more UACES podcasts, visit uaces.org forward slash podcast and don't forget to subscribe for new episodes.